All right. Awesome. Um, my name is Aaron Rhodes, and you're listening to the Shuttlecock Podcast. Uh, we're sponsored by the Vinyl Underground at 7th Heaven, offering new and used vinyl at 76 Intrust in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, this week on the show, um, for our first um, virtual uh, recorded podcast via Zoom, we have Hadiza here. How's it going? Hi. <laughs> it's uh, it's going as it always is. It's 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 really always. It never stops going. Is is the thing, and that's. Mm, but does it? Does it? Scary questions. <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna answer all of these questions <laughs> over uh, the next half hour or so. So we will we will get to. Um, the answers on space and time and oh we'll save it till the end though so everyone can hear about your work first and you know that'll be kind of the well now they might just skip to the end hopefully they won't um, well you know either way <laughs> uh yeah i guess i was curious i guess we could kind of just start with um i wanted to know what your own like interactions with music growing up were and how you first kind of got interested um okay well <clears throat> when i was young when me and my brother were young my dad played a lot of records in the house um and so i think it started there honestly uh, i distinctly remember him playing um the tony braxton album and <laughs> me like trying to like emote to it <laughs> um, but like being shy about it and so making sure nobody could see me if I was doing that but then um, in first grade yeah it was first grade my parents put me in piano lessons which is like a blessing um, and that's when I started learning music learning how to read music um, but I really like did not enjoy practicing I had kind of a terrible teacher mm. for my first teacher um there was this period of time where at like I don't even remember how many but several recitals in a row she would just like leave my name off the program and I would always be a nervous wreck and I didn't really care but my mom she was like no you need to go tell her so that <laughs> I didn't really enjoy it. It, was, it wasn't even like a dislike. It was more just like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. So I didn't really appreciate it. But then um, by the time I was around like eight or nine, it was like going into the summer, I got a new teacher because uh, that teacher moved away. And this teacher, Esther Ahn, was really intense. And I don't know what it was. Oh, no, some, some adult. I don't know who it was. I think it was like, I have no idea who it was. But he was commenting. He's like, you know, I took piano lessons when I was a kid. And I wish I had stuck with it because now I'm an adult and I can't play it. And I was just like, whoa, I didn't even think about it that way. Like, I, that would suck to not be able to play when I'm an adult if I'm like spending all this time. So I like got a lot more serious about it and like a lot more focused. Um, and then um, I did violin for a little bit in elementary school. I only did it because my friends did it. I didn't really like it. 
Um, and then in middle school, I did choir and was encouraged to do show choir in high school. Mm. But I thought show choir was lame as hell. And I like did not want to dance and wear the ugly costumes. So I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. So instead, I was like, oh, I like the sound of the cello. So I'm going to try cello, which um, by then I was like behind because everybody else had started when they were in fourth grade. So I was, only did that for a year. And then I quit doing orchestra in school, but continued piano. Um, and like I, every now and then I would like, sort of write songs but not like in any real like concerted effort way like I'm gonna write a song it would just be like because I'm practicing and then want to goof off um or I like make a mistake in a song and then I like the way it sounds and try to like do something with it but I never like fully tried to like compose a song with like a lyrics and like a real definition um but then I went to college and I like didn't do any music there, but I got really into electronic music, a lot of EDM. And I, um, by the time I was about to graduate, it was like the fall before graduation, I had this really intense existential crisis, intensely like mild, um, cause I was like, damn, shit corporate america woo how am i gonna survive that i was like the only way i'm really gonna be able to like cope is like i need to like start making music because i was like so into like every time i would go to a show i would just like watch what the djs were doing with their equipment i didn't know anything so i thought i wanted to be a producer and so my plan was okay get a job and do that shit and then have income, be able to take care of yourself. And then you can start like investing and stuff and learn how to be a producer and like make sounds. But what ended up happening was I just started playing keys here and there. Um, and so I moved to New York. So I went to college in Atlanta and then moved to New York and lived there for a year out of college. And I lived in probably completely gentrified by now, Bushwick, um, in this place called the McKibben Lofts, which is like, I think there's still a Wikipedia article on it, but it's basically, basically like, an, it's a warehouse where a bunch of artists live. Um, and so the job I had was like, really stressful and um playing keys with my roommates was just like a stress relief I was like not serious about anything um and so basically like while I was in New York I was just like like touching my toes and things but doing what I already knew which was to play keys um but I was playing keys not how I learned because I wasn't like reading music. I was just playing by feel and ear. Um, and I think what really kind of started to shift was um, it was the fall of that year. And um, I went to this party across the hall 
and there was a jam session happening and there was an upright and no one was playing it. And um, so I just started playing and I didn't know these people and I'd actually never done something like that before. <laughs> but it was just like, I just got in and I didn't have any like hesitation for some reason. Um, and then somebody came up to me after that and was like, do you play a lot around here? I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah you were playing like all these different styles and I'm just like I don't know I was just trying to play in tune I don't know it was just fun um so like basically like that year it was like slowly getting in in like contact and starting to associate with other musicians a little bit um so you don't only really play in like kind of school settings before that like I'm it yeah pretty much mm. and pretty much school settings and like private lesson recital settings mm. that that was the only times I'd ever played and I definitely had issues with nervousness with the recitals like yeah. serious debilitating stage fright it was like bad actually like I went through this phase when I was like it was like around middle school where I just like every time I had a recital I could play it perfectly at home and then I would get to the recital and it would be the thing where I just like tighten up and my hands move out of <laughs> alignment and I'm just like playing the wrong notes. It was like out of like a dream. It was like really, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot. Um, but like, I also did competitions, which for some reason were less nerve wracking because it wasn't a whole audience, but it was like three judges. Mm. I don't know why that was not as nerve wracking for me but I always did a lot better in those. Um, but yeah, anyway, like I'm in New York. I eventually quit my job. And then that summer I started to meet a lot of different artists and just like fucking around basically. And like doing random things, uh, recording on random tracks, like piano. Um, and I wasn't writing music yet. I wasn't even singing my own songs yet. Um, so then I moved back to Atlanta because I couldn't deal with New York and I knew that I couldn't be there anymore. Um, and Atlanta's kind of like my second home, I think, because I came of age there. So I go back to Atlanta, get a job, and then I'm basically doing the same things and just like auditioning for a bunch of random bands that I didn't really fit or gel with very well. Um, so none of them really stuck. Um, there were a couple situations, like jamming situations that like persisted for a few months with different groups of people. Uh, but then it wasn't until like, I decided, okay, I'm gonna start writing music. Um, I like made this decision because I knew like, I, I was like, I had experienced a lot of fucked up shit in corporate America that I was very naive to not even not that i didn't know i just didn't assume it would happen mm. um and so i was like basically starting to get like activated more um than i was in college um because i basically in college being in atlanta from iowa college was kind of a um period of time that was somewhat of like a utopia because i had a lot of black friends and so we kind of could insulate from like the realities of 
like the corporate world and the real world or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, back in Atlanta, doing stuff, starting to write music. And then um, I fall into this band called Auto Magic and I'm singing back up in that band for a little bit. Um, and then I'm also doing my own stuff and starting to perform my own stuff. Um, and then I moved back to Iowa City, place I was born and raised to go to grad school and also continue music, but to like get some like, basically at that time, the time I left Atlanta, I was like really not stable financially. And yeah. So I was like, okay, I guess I have to do this. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I did that, went back to Iowa. And then I think that's where things started to get a lot more like consistent as far as like performing. Mm. Um, and so then I met Maddie in Iowa City and then we made Kaleidoscope and we were doing that a lot. And then a couple of summers ago, we moved here. Now we're here. And I moved here because I got a job at a school that I don't work at anymore. So it's pretty boring. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's like the windy road of music for me. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I was kind of curious um, what, like if you're able to like pinpoint um, why you've kind of stuck with like piano and keyboard so consistently like was it just because that was the first thing you did and like you already had like kind of a skill level in that because you mentioned like you, you did violin and some other instruments briefly like what, what kind of brings you back to piano all the time it's funny so when my parents were like we want to put you in piano lessons they were like we want you to do piano because we think it will be easier for you to learn because you're left-handed mm. um which I didn't really understand. And my parents aren't musicians, um, but they thought that that would be better for me than like guitar. Huh. Um, but I think piano, because I like developed a relationship with the piano at a young age out of like my own volition, out of like being really apathetic towards it. And then suddenly being like, wait, actually I do want to like learn this and like, have like a solid foundation that I can like build on. And so doing that then allowed me after not really playing, not consistently at least for like four some years in college, um, after that, like getting back to the piano and then being reintroduced was like, it was like almost like a destiny type of thing especially in that moment of randomly jamming with these people I don't know. Um, it just felt good. And it was like, it was just something that I enjoyed to doing. Like I said, I wanted to do production. So I really didn't even have the intention of going back to the piano like that. But part of it was, okay, I already know how to do this. So I don't really need to like teach myself this unless I'm like trying to learn something that I haven't learned yet. Mm. Um, but I'm not really doing that. I'm just trying to like craft stuff. Um, so it was that. And then when it came time that I like quit my job and now I had a bunch of time on my hands, I was like, okay, like 
how can I use the piano and also make electronic music? So I did like try to like focus on like obtaining the skills to like be a proficient producer and engineer, but it didn't really work out that way, which is funny um, because I just like could not figure out it was my laptop basically. Mm. And I just couldn't afford a new laptop, but I had the equipment, but I also had acquired a piano. That's a different story that mm. I can tell offline. Um, <laughs> but I acquired an upright piano and I was playing it that whole summer and um, meeting different musicians and they were coming over and we were just like making stuff. Um, and it was just like, I guess, just the opportunity and like the foundation that had been built before. And that foundation included not just like developing a technical foundation, but like an appreciation and a relationship with the instrument. So I think that's what it was. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I guess when you are kind of crafting, like, I mean, I'm, I know very little about like kind of, um, formal like music composition stuff but like you like a lot of people who do put together like larger like like arrangements for full bands like do kind of tend to start at piano first right so I guess it yeah. does kind of make sense as like a band leader like you are sometimes yeah 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 it does make sense um because you've got the bass and you've got the treble and yeah I mean it's easy for me to say that not really being, I mean, I kind of play bass. I definitely don't play guitar. Mm. So I would be interested to know from other people who play like, who like play a bu bunch of instruments like equally well, how they start off. I mean, sometimes I start off on the bass. Um, and lately I've been starting to compose things with vocals more um i think like the piano was the gateway to my voice more or less um but it's not a question of like which one came first because i think singing came first anyway but not like in any focused way yeah, probably for most people like you just you hear a song yeah sing the words back yeah like, stuff on the radio exactly yeah records. you learn how to talk and use your voice yeah for sure um, no, yeah, because you were saying, like, I read the, uh, one of the posts you did on Instagram, like, around the album release, and you talked about how, like, at that point, like, it, w it was, like, five years ago that you had, like, s sung, like, publicly for the first time. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah what was kind yeah. of, like, the process <laughs> that that got you to that point since you did kind of deal with such like intense stage fright at one point? Yeah. Um, so I think the stage fright was more to do with the fact that I could sense that there was ultimately something beyond my control, which is that I didn't compose the music that I was playing. Mm. And I guess I wasn't at that point to have like been able to develop a connection like that to the music but then in writing my own songs yeah I definitely went through that again but I feel like that was an initiation process for me so um 
Okay, so I was starting to write music in like 2014. And at that time, I was also making a lot of visual art and like setting goals for myself with that. Mm. Um, um, But then I was like also like starting to compose songs. And I did a lot of like just shitty recordings of me on the keys on SoundCloud. And then that started to like turn into words Mm. that I needed to get out. And then the words just would form melodies. Um, And it was, so I was doing this by myself at home, not seeing the light of day, not really having any like drive for that until, uh, (laughs) it's just like really random, but there was one particular night that I had gotten pretty drunk and woke up at like 3 p.m. and felt like I had wasted the day and I hadn't felt like that in a really long time. And I just like was like, oh God, I need to like do something with this day. And I just like was like, okay, I need to go to an open mic and I need to perform. Oh gosh, I'm totally missing something. So one of my best friends, her name is Emily Cummings. She was actually instrumental in like pushing me um uh so at the time she was living in atlanta and um like i would there was one time i was like okay i'm gonna show you this song and i was like just like bullshit singing and she's like hadiza i know you can do better than that i know i can i want to hear you and that was just like a push for some reason. And it was a, actually that was a cover of Come As You Are, I think. Um, And then, yeah, she just encouraged me a lot. Mm. Um, And it was funny because basically a year later I was like performing in public. Um, But yeah, so the day that I decided that I needed to do an open mic for any song that I had written or a cover song that I had learned, um, I found one. And this one, I think it was called like Feed a Starving Artist or something. And it was like a more hip hop focused open mic. So they basically only had a mic. They didn't have a mic stand. Um, and so I would like kept giving myself different outs. Like, I was like, okay, nobody knows me here. Like I had my keyboard instead, mm-hmm. right? And so I just went in, like there wasn't really anybody else there. I was like, okay, well I could just leave. Nobody knows me here. I could do that. Then the person running the open mic comes up to me. She's like, oh, what are you gonna do? I'm like, oh, okay, well, shit, all right. <laughs> yeah, I have a keyboard and I'm going to sing a song, blah, blah, blah. Um, So she's like, oh, where's your keyboard? I'm like, oh, in my car. So then I had to go get it. I was like, okay, well, I guess I have to do that now. Then she's like, oh, I was like, oh, do you have a mic stand? And then she's like, no. I'm like, oh, well, I guess that's okay. She's like, no, I'll hold the mic for you when you go. And so the song that I did was it's called a tone meant for and i have not really released it 
I have a demo shitty version on my SoundCloud, but I wrote that song um, not long after Mike Brown was killed. And I was just like, really, I was uh, like, I just had a coworker that was like talking shit about Mike Brown's mom. And I was just like, how dare you? What kind of audacity do you have to even speculate on someone you don't know and her grieving process? Like, it was just like, what is wrong with you? Cause I had like kept my mouth shut until then. I was just like, mm. we're at work. Like what the fuck's wrong with you? Seriously. And so that inspired me to write the song. Um, it's a song that has like three parts. It's kind of long. Um, and I don't really play it that much ever. But I recently was revisiting it. Um, but I performed that song. And they, I mean, it was like really scary, but I did it and it felt really good. That was the key difference between that and like my uh, episodes of stage fright in childhood. That uh, felt completely terrible the entire time which is like a terrible ordeal this felt really good at the end and like exhilarating so um then um okay so like before that I had like randomly met this other artist who fronts a band called Auto Magic and then that night I went to an event called Punk Black that was actually I don't know if you're familiar with it but back then, Punk Black was pretty new, and it started in Atlanta. And I just, I don't know, it was like a freaking portal opened or something, and then everything just like sort of accelerated very quickly because then I started singing back up in the band Auto Magic with this other girl, um, and sometimes playing keys. Um, and we did a lot of shows in a very short amount of time. So I got a lot of experience very quickly. And it was like a similar situation for the other girl who was singing in the band. Like we had a very similar like story with regard to music. Um, and yeah, so doing that then was like, oh shit, I need to like be doing my own music. like a lot more what the hell am I doing so I like started writing a lot more um and doing a lot more of my own stuff and like starting to do my own shows there was uh there's a show in Atlanta called the early show which um his name is Vichy Royale he is the front person of Auto Magic and started the early show and it was also pretty both the early show and auto magic sort of were pretty new and then punk black was is a separate thing but that was also new at the time but these were all like different parts of like atlanta's underground scenes mm. um and so there was just like ample opportunity that i just jumped into and was like somewhat ready for but like learned a lot through that and then realized i needed to focus on writing my own stuff and getting it recorded. Um, and then, so that was that summer 2015. And then like in the fall as well. And then like different jamming, there was this jam session that would happen every Monday um, at uh, an elder's house. Her name is Ali Asha. 
Williams. And she had this house, just like another property where she could just have this jam session. Um, a bunch of really awesome musicians would come through and it was just, it was called the Magnolia Roots Preservation Society. And so then we would start to, if people in that circuit would um, book shows. And so we were doing a couple one-off shows as that. Um, and then I got into this really stupid relationship um, and didn't do a lot of stuff for a period of time in months. And then I was like, I've got to get my shit back together, going back to Iowa, going to do the music in Iowa too. And I had this pretty um, naive, okay, no, naive is not really the right term, overly optimistic idea of what navigating Iowa would be like, because I was just like, it's my hometown. It's Iowa. How hard can it be? Um, but then I returned summer 2016, started doing um, either one of two open mics in Iowa City at the time, the Yacht Club and the Mill, and then eventually started getting shows. And then um, that's when I first started to like form a band around my music. Um, after meeting Maddie, which we started doing Kaleidoscope, but then she was also backing me up sometimes. And then um, I, um, how did I meet Tony? Oh, I put out an ad on Craigslist and I met Tony Soberanis Fern, who is a phenomenal bassist from Iowa City. And he, um, he was really excited about playing and I was really excited that he was excited because he was a freshman at the time in the music school at Iowa and just like really great and just like elevated everything to like a completely different level. And then um, I had my friend Arij playing violin and then I met another violinist, Ebony. Um, and something that was like, something that I really, hadn't expected but was really happy that happened was that my band was almost all black except for Maddie and I didn't expect that in Iowa but that would happen all the time in Atlanta and that that, that is something that's pretty important to me these days that I haven't been able to necessarily be in those situations where it can happen that way which is fine but it is important to like make sure that I have something like that going on in some way um well, it's funny, like you know, figuring that out oh yeah and i don't it's like it's usually like instagram now i figure but yeah it's funny you don't hear as many people like meeting bandmates on craigslist anymore but i feel like that used to be a pretty normal thing yeah yeah and i also like didn't have the most reliable um smartphone so mm. that was another thing um but yeah it just worked out like it was crazy um but oh but then i i was looking for my friend Areej moved so i was looking for another violinist and i just put out like just wrote a status on facebook and lo and behold found ebony um so there was a period where we were like doing some stuff in iowa 
um, that basically is the Hadiza band. Not that that's what we call ourselves, but just Hadiza because that sounds so weird to me. Um, um, we played Little Big Fest in Des Moines, which I think was the last one. And that was exciting because it was like the first festival type thing I had done. Um, and it was the first like check that I got. Mm. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Kaleidoscope started to do a lot more stuff and we started to focus on that more. And then we moved here. Um, I feel like I just totally went on like the whole ramble. No, I wanted I, I wanted the whole journey and okay, that's, good. That's where <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew that was goes. gonna there fall. Goes. There we go. There we go. There we go. Um, I think it did it now and not then. No, yeah. So you're still you're when you do kaleidoscope. Uh, you're still playing with Maddie because you're both here, but yep. and you also you recorded with and sometimes play with uh, Hopyard on drums? Yes, yes, Hopyard. He recorded all the drums on Shadow Wave mm-hmm. and uh, played at the release show and played um, a couple other shows. Um, but he was also playing with us as Kaleidoscope. Um, and we met Hopyard at Farewell Transmission for the first time, like, last january um it was fucking freezing and there like there were a few people there you i think it was yeah unicorns in the snow um and then hot toddy origami from chicago was there another band i don't know i think it was just us three i'm not sure um but we met hop then and he was like do y'all have a drummer would y'all ever want a drummer i'm like hell yeah <laughs> fuck yeah because we were like god it would be so great to play with a drummer so then that started and then we did this little tiny tour through iowa in march last year with hop and we were in iowa city and the quad cities i think we were supposed to go somewhere else too but i think it was just those two Mm. i don't know for some reason i can't remember very well which sucks um yeah yeah and um no yeah I guess I was kind of curious um what it was like just you you mentioned just I'm sure just like starting to go to shows here you you met people but had you previously known any like Kansas City musicians and like what was it like like making your first kind of connections in the scene here moving from Iowa um didn't really know anybody. Um, but I had actually lived in Kansas City for the summer before for a fellowship, which was like part of why I was like, we should just go to Kansas City. And I went to a couple open mics. The best one was the Uptown Arts Bar one that Mazzy used to run. Mm. And I like kind of, I like performed there and kind of met Mazzy, but like, you know, you forget. Like, yeah. And I didn't actually, like, really wasn't here officially at that time. So mm. it was like, I was like a somewhat of a tourist. Maybe not a tourist, but like, I don't know. It was temporary, basically. Mm. Um, so I knew of some artists, but I didn't, like, really know any. But um, I don't know if you know Brad Heinem. Yep. 
Yeah. We met him in Iowa and befriended him in Iowa. Yeah, he was in, in Nerve. So. I, I, I was a big fan of Nerve. Nerve? I don't even know that band. Oh. Wait, no. And was Brad also in Supersonic Piss? Maybe? Probably. I, I mean, Brad's been in a lot of bands. I know a small handful and of Iowa punk bands. <laughs> I haven't even heard of any of those. But when we, when we met Brad and, like, started hanging out with Brad, Brad's, like, really good friends with another good friend of mine, Ralph, who I'm trying to bring here. <laughs> um, and I, that's actually how I met Brad. Um, um, but, yeah, we, like, j- we've jammed with Brad a few times um and i actually he was doing a lot of solo stuff when i first like got to know him mm-hmm. so i've known him more as like a solo artist which is interesting because he's like in a lot of bands or has him okay yeah so brad was the first person basically and brad actually got us our first show at revolution with no, we didn't actually play with them, did we? I want to say we played with Slow Mass, but I don't think that's true. I feel like we just saw that show. I know they did play there, but no, yeah, Revolution's super good about getting like kind of new acts on those. Oh, yeah, sorry. Very good. Uh, no, yeah, yeah I know, because even... I'm sorry that my memory is failing me. Oh, no, don't worry about it. shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, because I know they had, they had Black Star ah! Kids. Ah, there goes the phone. They had Black Star Kids play their first show there before. Oh, man, that was terrible timing, too, just because, like, they had just played... Like, the, the last show I went to and booked before the lockdown was uh, Maddie Rizuk. Chloe Jacobson, Black Star Kids, and that was their second show. So like, they could have just oh. been doing shit all summer. And God damn it, like, so much that album. So much was about to like really pop off. Yeah. Like right, before. God, it's really weird. Yeah. It's really weird how that lined up. But I guess you would probably say that for any time that a pandemic is called. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not the best thing. No, um, it's, no, it's yeah, not. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a few questions I wanted to ask about yes. Shadowweight. Um, cool. The you know, in in one of those Instagram posts you wrote um, about the album, you mentioned. Okay, I don't know anything about. I think I feel like you're into numerology, maybe a little because, bit. Yeah. Yes, because the you said the release date like lined up with. Uh, yeah kind of... I think I said something like it was a universal nine day yeah I hope that? that was actually correct okay so basically I'm not an expert I'm just like interested in it mm. but um, basically there's different numbers that are associated with people based off of your birthday and your name and also you can you can kind of suss out the energy of the day by the number of the day and basically the way that you calculate numbers is by reducing them down to one digit so adding up all of the digits until they get reduced down to one digit and so basically one through nine and then there are master numbers like 11 or 22 that are like um 
more intense versions of like two and three, I think. I don't know, but I'm not an expert, so I feel like I should shut up before but, I but say a something. Is, like a nine day is like a good omen of some sort. Well, okay, so my I'm a life path nine based off of my birthday. Okay, and nine is a number that is pretty closely associated with like death, but also like necessary change, and it's like three squared and three is like a number that is associated and I associate with creation as well. So I don't know for me, I've also always really been drawn to the number nine, like not that I was particularly good at math ever, but I really loved just like the patterns you could find with multiples of nine and three. Um, it's not really that deep. I just, <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, a lucky number of any kind is, you know, everyone has some like that. So, but uh, no, and because I noticed also on your EP Gone that there's the song titled God is Seven. Is that also yeah, a and that numerology? Is a, that's just honestly, no, that's, that's just a straight up reference or maybe a rip off a reference to the pixies okay that's all and i i'm i'm not <laughs> a <then> it... <laughs> i'm a bad pixies fan i i don't even mm. <laughs> it's uh on the song monkeys gone to heaven uh-huh. so at the end okay. um i don't know for some reason that line sticks with me and god is seven and then it was like just basically talking about like the week Um, so yeah i guess there's numerology there but i didn't like deliberately try to do that there like like that universal nine day shit (laughs) Mm. um another cool thing about the album kind of rollout i thought was you kind of made this like interactive website for the album's release and you can kind of click through different like graphics and text that you have on the website and you end up at the page that has the, the you album went through it I, yeah. yo dope shit i never actually like uploaded the non-typo <laughs> sorry i knew what you meant okay great i'm glad <laughs> but yeah so i, I was I very think that tired was, that was, by that no oh, yeah very, very tired <laughs> no yeah but i think it was, it was cool that just in general that you put something together like that just because like as convenient and cool as like a band camp page is like it, on on a diy level and like even on a like larger level like you know i don't think a lot of people consider kind of any kind of unique web presence or kind of digital like accompaniment for their albums other than like a video so that was kind of fun to click through well i gotta give props to maddie because she was the one who put the bug in my ear because mm. she's like yeah i mean i don't really code but i can figure it out because i've had to code for other things mm-hmm. and she was just like you should like figure out how to make like a cool like interactive web art website I'm like oh like super bad i was obsessed with super do you know superbad.com i think so oh shit 
damn, this was something that I got introduced to at like age 13 and just got obsessed with. It's just like an internet maze. And so I just like loved it. Oh. Yeah. Um, but I just like, I kind of cheated. I just like did control you to like read code of different websites that I liked and figure out how to make things happen. And if I couldn't quite figure it out, like figuring out an alternative to trying to make a thing like with the eyes when you click on them they change color the eyes themselves are not changing well they are but it's like a much bigger strip because i couldn't figure out how to like just make that thing a flash or whatever i don't know what i'm talking about no yeah i, I encourage anyone checking out the album to click through that no and also i did want to ask about um one of the links in the mm. website leads to a web page for it's called the Zamani project. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's something Okay. The page that that links to um the art on that page has some cutouts from images. I'm going to plug my charger because I have a stupid iPhone 8 and I can't use headphones and charger at the same time which makes me so angry um basically okay so that is just like something for people to like learn about Elmina Castle and um so it not that it like directly corresponds, but I just found it because um, I wanted to lead people to something like that. Um, so Elmina Castle is a castle in Cape Coast, Ghana, which was erected by the Portuguese first and then the Dutch were there and the British were there, all doing the same colonizer bullshit. And it's basically a speculative song, but I wanted to like lead people to like, yeah, like here's here here it is in real life. Because um, the first time I actually went there, I was thirteen, and I just was so freaked out the whole time. I felt like I was being like surrounded by ghosts, and I like felt very like petrified and like terrified. Um, but then I went there again, like, when I was 24, and that time I went to Ghana and I wasn't with my extended family, which was, like, the only time that I've ever done that. I was there, like, on this, with a bunch of other people from different parts of the diaspora who like wanted to learn about basically how the diaspora can like engage and like be involved, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it was a cool opportunity. And I got to um, go there again. And it was definitely a different experience. Um, Cause actually while we were in Cape Coast, during that time, I got to jam with the band at a, um, huh, what do I call it? 
it's a venue, mm. but by day it's basically a gas station and at night it's a restaurant oh. with a stage. It's all outdoors. And I just like, it was like, it was a similar feeling to the time when I got on the piano in New York. I was just like, shit. Like before I went to Ghana, that actually this was like during the height of the Ebola crisis, but Ebola wasn't really affecting Ghana like that. But I was just like, if I get the opportunity to make music with people, I need to like, that would be the most amazing thing. And like, yeah. And then it got to, it happened. And so I just like played keys with them for the rest of the night. And it was really fun. What type of um, And they were called the Ogwa Band, and I never saw them again. <laughs> what, what type of music were they playing? Um, like, a lot of, like, traditional Ghanaian music, like, high life, and, like, some reggae, a lot of reggae-like music. Nice. Um, I don't know. It just felt right. It was fun. No, that sounds really fun. Um... So, more album stuff I was interested in. Um, no, and you, you mentioned, like, a lot of, uh, I think, like, on your Twitter and, like, on the Bandcamp page, there's, like, a bunch of references to what you call diaspora gothic. I was wondering if you could explain that phrase to me. Um. So diaspora gothic is what I consider to be like a feeling and maybe a genre too, but it's like, um, I say it's the experience of like feeling like the inevitable isolation and disconnectedness and jadedness and hopelessness that kind of becomes somewhat of a fuel in people that hail from the black diaspora. And then in my case, um, I'm particularly thinking about things like how as a baby and a toddler, my mom spoke to me in um, our native Hausa and my dad only spoke to me in English because we were new to the United States. Well, I was born in the United States. They were new. And my dad was a professor and in a very white culture. And I think felt a lot of pressure to assimilate and make sure that his family was assimilated. Um, but it's what he always said to me was that he thought I would get confused. And I always thought that that was weird because my parents speak at least three different languages that are spoken in Ghana plus English. And like, it's not common. It's not uncommon for people to speak more languages than that. Um, it's like when they're exposed very young. Mm. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I like, I guess harbor some resentment about that because it's like America is really kind of some bullshit and maybe that's terrible to say online but um, I always wonder and think about like the aspiration to leave like if that's at least in 
in my parents' case, because they're immigrants who, who traveled willingly. They weren't refugees, which is a completely different context. And immigrants with, like, at least, like, getting up to, like, some level of means, or at least having some means, like, secured, um, which is not the case for a lot of other immigrants. Um, so that like okay it's like the pursuit of success basically because my dad has always talked about being like successful in the sense that he grew up in the largest slum and like my dad's side of the family lives in the largest slum a lot of that side of my family lives in the largest slum in um, West Africa called Stabon Zongo in Accra um like I think a large part of his identity as like a father in America is like that, being able to provide a life for his children that was a completely not his life. Um, but then once we grow up and you know, we've had like great opportunities, um, but then the reality sets in that, oh, like, what is this pursuit? At what cost? Now there's like a lot of disconnect. And I don't know a lot of my cousins, which I don't think would be the case at all if I lived there. Um, and so it's just questions, like a lot of what ifs, like, okay, so we're here and like on paper, like everything like looks okay and good. And you've like been able to do that and like become part of that, but at what cost? And it's become very apparent, like, as I've gotten older, my brother's gotten older, my cousins have gotten older, and, like, people have passed away um, very suddenly um, and unexpectedly. It's just, like, yeah. So that's, like, my personal, like, I guess, origin of that phrase diaspora gothic is like okay like you wanted to basically leave for a lot of different reasons that are very valid but then now what because grass is not necessary and it's just yeah part of it is um kind of the process of shining light on the shadow, um, kind of like the intergenerational shadow for me, and then like how that influences, excuse me, the personal shadow and how they're like intertwined. Um, so I would say a lot of my song, like all of my songs, whether they're like directly addressing like that condition or addressing something else, like, you know, like songs, what songs are often about, like um, breakups and things like that. Um, but then always from the lens of, okay, but this is in the context of me being an African in America, um, kind of 
becoming radicalized as an adult, which was not really the intention. Um, but it's like a way to express like a deep-rooted, kind of like an anger that like sort of stems all of it. Um, an anger and a sorrow. There's like a deep-rooted sorrow that kind of envelops all of it because mm-hmm. um, something was lost. And so I'm, yeah. So like songs that were written, or so I guess I, the best way to describe it or like explain is like one of the first songs that I wrote, Lazy Eyes, which I think is track number five. That song is basically about me um, um, processing the painful uh, effects of colorism and how like not only that but damn really like I have to be an adult and like be curious on my own to like actually learn what we're supposed to learn in school really like just a lot of that that feeds into like um misperception of stuff I think and where I was at the time I don't perform that song a lot either because I feel like I'm not listening to it. But that I think is one of the like, more direct ones um, that addresses much more topics. Also, definitely Elmina and Cousin. Those are two of the newer songs. And yeah. I guess I could talk about what they're about. I think, um, oh, you're, sorry, your video is kind of lagging and uh, the audio was kind of muffled for a second. Can you hear me? I'm not hearing anything from you, right? Oh my God. Okay, hopefully, okay, can, can you hear me? I didn't, I'm I'm not getting your audio right now. Um, is there anything like blocking the microphone or anything? I'm still not getting anything. Um, would you be able to do? Do you have enough battery to try the? headphone mic again? Yeah, let me try it. Oh, oh now, now I'm getting you. Okay, cool. Sorry about that. No problem. I get it. This shit always happens. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, hopefully we <laughs> did not lose anything from the last hour. It, it, it was already, like, still recording when it reconnected, so... And I stayed on the line, yeah. so it should be okay. fine. Yeah, I'm guessing that'll be all right. So you were in the middle of, you're talking about um, Elmina specifically in regards to the yeah. Diaspora Gothic? Yeah, yeah. So Elmina is the last song, and it is a speculative song 
basically about um, a woman who is raped by one of the masters or the master um, before they're going to set off for the Americas. And instead of carrying the child to term and getting on the ship, she decides to throw herself off, off the castle by the end. So yeah, kind of gothic, I don't know. Um, but I think like that was something that I just was thinking about kind of as a mirror to the first song, Cousins, where it's pretty much a song that starts off in like like the fantastic realm. And then it it's basically a song about diaspora wars, which I don't necessarily expect many white people to like be aware of or have on their radar but basically what it what that means is um a lot of the there can be like some infighting between different groups in the diaspora for like who suffered more that's a really simplistic way of putting it and i don't feel comfortable with that as the description but it's more so like an inability to see like the interconnectedness of the black struggle across the continent and in um europe and in South America, like all across the world like it's going to be different facets of the same overall structure through colonization and so that's basically a song about that, like how at some point there is a convergence with the ancestors at least. I think so. Well, yeah. And yeah. Um, and just like taking that and speculating on that um, and how like at some point like our ancestors might have been like side by side or not that far from each other. And now like there's so much distance that we can't even see that. Um, so that's really what that song is about. Um, so it's again, like more of like a pessimistic view of, of like, um, the aspiration to kind of searching for unity of some sort among yes searching for it but like kind of realizing or thinking that being kind of a little hopeless in that but like no but still knowing fundamentally like even if you're even if you say like for example there are there are some black people in America that like firmly believe that people who are descendants of enslaved Africans are basically like not, they're completely separate from 
any other black people, especially like Africans, and even to the extent that like Africans are oppressive too, you know, like it's it's just thinking that like doesn't really get you that far, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a much more pan-Africanist view of things, um, and we when we are not. Like, you know, we see what we see here in the States. But then I've also seen the legacy of colonialism in Ghana specifically and how that's harmful. And it's just like, it's like different forms of brutalization and harm and anti-Blackness. That's just like become something that has like really held a rotten root in the entire, across the entire world, um, which is really unfortunate and like really dreadful. So yeah, that's like pretty much like diaspora gothic to me. Um, It was something that I just, I wanted to like situate my own shadow work that I like also tied to my music into something bigger than me and like situating things in space and time kind of. Mm. Oh yeah and I don't want to keep you like too long um, but like one more album thing kind of before we wrap up. Uh, you mentioned a couple times in the on the website you make references to Olokun. I don't know how you pronounce mm-hmm. that, but I did a, yeah. I did a brief Wikipedia search, and it's that's a, a water deity that um, different that comes from like a traditional uh, African religions. Yes. Yes. Um. So I'm not a, I don't practice any ATRs, but um, I have developed an interest in learning more about the religious and spiritual practices of my pre-colonized Hausa ancestors, who I believe still practice some of that. Um, But specifically, you mostly have the Yoruba people to thank for like the Orisha pantheon that's like mostly known or more known than other ATRs. And also like um, the Orishas are present in um, ATRs that came from the Americas as well. Um, But those are often like combined with um, Catholic um, saints. So, um, also not an expert on this, but um, Olokun specifically is an Orisha that I'm drawn to because she is basically the keeper of secrets. And I think a lot about those Africans who did not cross the Atlantic, but were maybe on the journey and who. Um, bodies sink to the bottom of the Atlantic and dwell 
now. Well, they don't dwell because they're not really living, but they're kept by Olokun, who um, holds on to the secrets and the desires that they had. Um, and then this is all me speculating or what I'm like would envision, mm. like releasing different, um, different ideas and um, like things to be driven by, like wills, the will of different spirits um, up to the surface and then where it's like open enough we we'll catch it and so like basically i don't i can't really i don't feel like i can take credit for any ideas that come um because i am a result of thousands of ancestors who are all still you know they want to be heard too so i just think of it as like i think of my own path to making music and that being like such a central part of my life and how it has always been a pretty central part of my life um but something that i've like taken a lot more control over um and how a lot of things like probably shouldn't have happened and i'm here doing that and it's like yeah it's kind of weird because like I don't really talk about my music with my family at all even though I would say we're fairly close like we definitely keep in touch but I mean I sometimes like say I'm doing a show but it's not anything in depth they're like oh please listen to like I it's such a weird thing because they're my parents are the ones who put me in piano lessons and are arguably the reason why I even like was able to develop the foundation. Um, and so it's it's like a it's a weird kind of relationship there. So they definitely haven't listened to anything you really they have. I don't know. I like I don't know if they would like tell me about it. Oh. But we were gonna play Mission Creek in Iowa City and I like didn't tell my parents like because I mean, I was going to be in Iowa City, but I like, didn't really like tell them. Um, I mean, I would have told them, but like at the last minute. Mm. And then later, my mom's like, oh, so you were going to play a show here? <laughs> and you didn't, oh, well, just remember we're here. <laughs> I just thought it was really funny. Because like, yeah, it's, it's funny. Because the thing is, like, they never, like, to them, like, it's not, like, a good use of time at least that's my impression of what they think so it's like not really worth talking about oh. with them unless like it like falls in their lap yeah or there's like a conflict and it's like oh i can't do that yeah i like that word well um no yeah i guess i just wanted to get a quick like uh word from you like just uh I'm just wondering how, like, I'll probably be asking everyone that I have on here, just kind of how they've kind of taken the the pandemic, both just kind of personally, but also in regards to, like, the art they're making. I was just kind of wondering what the past six months have really held for you in that regard. 
Mm, that's a really good question. Um, definitely a lot of mourning because, you know, a lot of shit was about to happen that I was really excited to do. Yeah. Um, and so just like having to sit with that and honor that and allow it to like do its thing um, and realizing that like, yeah, everybody's in the same goddamn shit ass boat. Um, so I honestly, there's, there was a period like, at the beginning of the pandemic, I had a lot. I was like starting a bunch of new songs, new new solo songs, and working them out, and like getting to points where I was like, you know, this is almost done. Um, but then there was a period where I was like not into like making anything new. We we've, we've been doing a lot with Kaleidoscope, um, and we were actually like in the process of recording our album. And our last session was actually the, it was like the Friday, I think it was like the Friday right after they said pandemic. Um, so that has been on hiatus right now, but we have a new project coming out soon that will be interesting. Um, and yeah, I'm just not gonna say much about that. That'll be before, hopefully by Halloween. Um, and I'm really excited about that because that now has like started to gain a lot of momentum. Um, and different like sessions happening with other musicians. Um, you know. Who knows if those things will get released, but I'm just trying to like make a lot of music with a lot of different people right now because I feel like I feel like I had to go through a slowdown because a lot was about to happen like performance wise and it was there was kind of already a lot happening with shows. Yeah. Um, so that was the focus. It wasn't really like there wasn't much of a focus on like writing new music. Um, but now, but because that was what I was prepared for, there was like that period of mourning and I was like, oh God, what the fuck? I hate live streaming. This is so shitty. This is, oh my God, like mourning. And then- But you have done a couple of live streams. I have, yeah. I have. And that's how I learned I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I mean, spending a lot of time like, learning new things and like just getting in touch with my body and the environment and learning new useful skills because I don't know things are pretty bleak um but I feel like I've found some new energy since like the end of July and we've been going pretty hard at it with kaleidoscope um yeah Oh. oh yeah, I'm glad you're. You've been able yeah. Oh yeah, I'm glad you've been able to stay motivated and inspired at least uh, after that initial period you spoke about. Yeah, it's but, hard. Uh, yeah. The weather does help. I really like thrive in warmer weather, but also like there's still a part of the summer where I was not making anything new. Mm. 
No, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I just keep thinking about like how fucked up it's gonna feel in the the winter and everyone's still just. I know. I'm really like, scared. completely stuck inside. Yeah. That's gonna be really rough, and I'm trying yeah. to prepare for it. And I feel like that's why I'm like, oh shit, you gotta like take advantage of this time yeah. as much as possible. That's gonna be rough. Yeah. Um. But yeah, where can people hear your music and follow you on social media and everything? Yeah. Okay. So you can go through the maze and try to get to the band camp through the maze at hadizawithaperiod.com. Or you could just be a normal person and go to hadizaisnothere.bandcamp.com. And then my instagram is hadiza with a period also very soon i'm gonna have a link available for people to pre-order vinyl because i final okay so i won a grant actually at the end of last year through arts kc which was really amazing and i didn't expect it um but i like was like oh i really would love to get this on vinyl and so after a lot of some procrastinating, some, yeah, mostly procrastinating and trying to figure out what to do. Um, and like going, going at a good pace. Yeah, I have like the test cuts that I still need to listen to, but um, those should be available soon. So if anybody wants vinyl that's in Kansas City, I can just like straight up deliver it to you. If this is a podcast that's going out beyond Kansas City, um, look for a link yeah I'll do that I'm gonna figure that out yeah and I'm holding myself to it I'm staying it here <laughs> so I gotta do it yeah awesome uh what's what's your handle on like different social media sites? oh yeah um Instagram Hadiza with a period at Hadiza with a period um Twitter <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I lost lost your audio again here. This is no good. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, there we go. Okay, dang. Uh, I'm not gonna give you all my Twitter because I actually can't even remember the handle, which oh. is weird because I use it a lot. Um, but I have never changed it, but I didn't make my handle. My friend did. And I also, you'll just, you can find me if you can find me. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, but yeah, people can follow at Shuttlecock Mag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, the web store is shuttlecockmag.bigcartel.com. We got t-shirts, new collab with Spine. We have Spine Shuttlecock shirts. Uh, we have the year three photo zine on there. We're about to print the year four photo zine. So grab the year three one. And so we can do that. And yeah, make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to this. But Adiza, thank you. Subscribe. Yeah. Subscribe thank wherever you thrive. Yes. Sorry. We love it. No, it's great. <laughs> thank, yeah. Thank you for being on the show today. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. It was too much fun. Ah. Thank you.